Good morning, good afternoon, or indeed good evening, as to wherever you are. Welcome to episode 66 of the Agile Podcast. The podcast with two Agile coaches, myself, Paul Goddard, and Jeff Watts, and we talk about all things Agile for the time it takes to drink a single pint. Anyway, episode 66, what are we talking about this time? Well, it's facilitation. We had a question from one of our avid listeners about what we describe as our keys to facilitation. So that's where it started, and now you can see where it goes. So without further ado, let's play the jingle. Good Hi, afternoon. Mate. You alright? <laughs> Pretty good. Cheers to you. Cheers to you. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Feels like we should be really quiet in a quiet pub. Well, pubs are for talking, aren't they? Yeah. So we are. What's the place called? The actual village Shipton that we're in. Moyne. Shipton Moyne. Sounds like a an old village. Yeah, Cotswold Village. Because we're in the Cotswolds. Cotswolds, yeah. Cotswold Stone, and the pub has a very interesting name called the Cat and Custard Bowl, Custard Pot. Yeah, the pot. Custard pot, yeah. It's the difference between a pot and a bowl. A pot you can have a lid on. Yeah. Yeah? Very yeah, good. Mm, I'd go with that. I'll lock that answer. You'd lock it in. So, um, yeah, I, it's it's from a book. Is it? Well, it's featured oh, in a book. I, so I took a picture of there's something on the wall that explains the name. Uh, and I took a picture so we can post it so everybody else is interested. It's from an incident in a Victorian novel called Handley Cross, written by R.S.S. Surtees. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Never heard, Never heard of him. But it's over 150 years old, the book. Right. Uh, and it's a narrative of the sporting experiences of the well-known John Jorrocks, the Cockney grocer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you know the company grocer John Jarrocks? No, I don't. No, no, one of his um, huntsmen got rather drunk before they went out for a hunt. And right. uh, so Jorrocks sacked him. Right. And went out on the hunt himself. Okay. Because we're in hunting county here, hunting right. territory, okay. which we have no political stance on either way. <laughs> um, but he, John Jorrocks is, uh, is, what was to the other name? Of the, yeah, Mr. Pig. Mr. Pig, uh, who got sacked, thought, well, I'm going to go and watch. And, he, and Mr. Jorrocks had such a successful day, uh, he saw Pig there and completely forgave him. And they had a reconciliation and a big dance. And uh, there's, a, there's a picture outside of it, of the is. event. A cat, a cat and the custard pot. But where the cat and the custard bowl comes in, I'm not quite oh, sure. A meet on the cat and custard pot day. So there's a day called the cat and custard pot day. Anyway. We're oh, here. Funnily enough, I did see a cat on the doorstep. There is a cat in the in the pub. Oh, that's a quite a, that's quite a Cotswolds thing, I think. Is it? Is it a Cotswolds? Cat. Maybe it's just a pub thing, an old traditional pub. You used to have a pub cat. Yeah, yeah. Pub cat. Yeah, so there's a pub cat wandering around. Um, so yeah, nice to yeah. see. Cheers, mate. Sort of almost summer. Yeah. Cheers. And what are you drinking today? This is a pint of cider smiths. Which you used to seem to think I've had before, but I, I can't. I feel you had that relatively recently. Does, it not, nice does the I, taste not bring back memories? Try, I tried the three ciders that they've got on draft here. And nice to have a choice. Yeah. 
the one that was scared me most, which I, I haven't got a pint of, was Freak Show. <laughs> a, a cider called Freak Show, which was a scrumpy, which is, again, all those words are very dangerous to me. I think you should have tried it. Mm. Well, you did try it, I think you should have had it. But there we go. <laughs> I've got a pint of Bob. Do you reckon Bob. I've had that before? I know I've had it before. Do you think I've had it on a podcast before? I don't think you have one. I've had it in a pub not too dissimilar to this, actually, in my hometown. Very, very easy to drink. Not, it must have done Wick War, Wessex. So it's no, not yeah, really. Wessex, well, yeah, Wessex is, is kind of better, isn't it? West Wiltshire. And as you can see, it's sort of more. Have we lost a shit now? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, closest town is Tetbury. Yeah. I believe, I might be wrong on this, I haven't checked. I believe Prince Charles has a residence in the area. Yes. Um, he certainly has a shop in the area. It's a high growth shop, we walk past that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah the, these polo sticks on the wall, very, very, very Cotswolds. Mm. Polo. Mm. Yeah. yeah so it's very good, very good. Um, and yeah, so we are now, we, we should toast our newest patron. We've got a new one today. Yeah, Graham McMahon. Graham, thank you, Graham. From Cheers. Ireland. And yeah, you can see we've already started investing. We have some new kit that we have some wireless lapel mics, so hopefully the sound will be even better. If you can see the video. You'll we did have a new webcam as well, but it took us so long to get the audio sorted that we couldn't get the webcam sorted as well, so I have yeah. to save that for next time. We've still got a few technical <coughs> hitches to iron We're not out. technical experts, are we, to no, be fair? It's not a fault, fault to tonight. But we're working there. The sound's certainly working, so there we go. Yeah, cheers, Graham. Um, yeah, if anybody else wants to join us in Patreon, we'll, we'll toast you. Um, you can check it out, Agile Pubcast. Uh, Patreon.com slash Agile Pubcast. But yeah, we and on the subject of patrons, one of our patrons, Greg Pitcher, has sent us a question. You okay. don't know about this, do no, you? No, this is you're catching me cold. So, uh, let me just read it out. So, thanks to Greg for that. It is, if I find it here, pause. Hold the line caller. Let's go into my pubcast folder. It says, what are the keys to good facilitation? I wonder whether he chose keys. Keys? Yeah, what are the keys? Rather than what are the tips, what are the, what are the rules, what are the secrets? He could have chosen any word, but he chose keys. Um, I, I don't know. Unlocking, that's what that says to me. Mm. How do you unlock? And I think a good facilitator does unlock things. Mm. What do you think about that? Nice, nice metaphor. Or locks, because can, you can well, lock the door to create a sense of safety. Element of safety is what they do as well. I agree with that. Yeah. So what are the keys to good facilitation? Let's, let's start somewhere. Safety, there's one place to start. So if everybody's got to feel safe enough to get involved, right? Yeah, know when to shut up. Mm-hmm. But on the, what, what do you think about equal participation? Well, I think that's something you, you want to, again, kind of working agreements, I think, is, is key part to setting the environment, isn't it, in terms of before you even started what? what the expectations are but also what are the taboos and the kind of etiquette that you're expecting people to buy into. Okay, so some good ground rules. Yeah. <coughs> but in terms of participation, do you want to be explicit about saying everyone has to participate or everyone should feel able to participate? Well, I think that's, that's one of the discussions that we've had before is it's quite easy to say 
everyone should have equal airtime. Yes. Well, not everybody wants equal no. airtime, but they no. do want the opportunity. They want equal opportunity. Yes. Um, and I think that's that's a good. So, how do you know when someone does want airtime and when they don't? When they're consciously, deliberately, sort of keeping themselves out of the conversation, or they feel they are being kept out of the conversation. How can you tell the difference as a facilitator? I think without having some kind of, hmm, well, dare I say, it, some kind of protocol for it in terms of just a the option to say, I've got nothing to add to this, or I'm fine with that, I'm cool with that, even without verbalising, mm. just kind of a hand up. I know some teams use tags hand signals. Yeah. That's Again, that's more of a maturity thing there as well in terms of they've, they've learned that over time. It's not particularly, probably not as, as useful as someone who's going in cold. To mature, mature. You can develop codes and um, methods for kind of tacit agreement. Mm -hmm. Literally just... I'm, I'm cool with that, or the, you know, the, the whole decide kind of Roman voting thing. Yeah. To, to see where people are. Um, if I was going to answer my own question, it would be something that I, my, my instinct would be to say that you, you do get a feel for that. The more you facilitate things, and the more you're actually putting yourself in that position consciously of facilitate, you're looking around and checking energy levels, you're checking engagement levels, you're seeing whether people have actually sort of checked out a little bit and they're they, you, you, you can tell that's what you I'm think, trying to say you say, and you're saying that's um, regardless of your relationship with that person even if it's a I think that helps yeah you know if I know someone more but as well as have, building that up because I might not uh, yeah I suppose I see what you're saying but I, part two parts to so say yes and um, having that sort of formal checkpoint of can we just check everyone's okay right now? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Esther Derby quite often says get people's voice in the room really early on, doesn't she? Yeah. So if you go around the room at the start just to make sure that everybody's had a chance to say something, then they feel much more confident in saying something later on. And the longer they go without saying something, the harder it is for them to break their silence. I think that needs to be reinforced on a regular basis throughout whatever session it is you're facilitating. So, is everybody okay? Has anybody got anything to add? Even if it's just a case of no, I'm fine. It's just a reminder to them and everybody else that that, that voice is there. Yeah. <coughs> so remind yourself on that one. I think it's even on. Um, also, maybe even as a facilitator, regardless of the people in the room, you can sense culturally people's routines and on a time. I'm just thinking about training that I do. You tend to know when people are likely to be more vocal or when people are likely to be more quiet yeah. so you, you can kind of tailor you can kind of expect different behaviours to emerge at different points yeah well and that's well, I think that leads nicely on to a little bit of planning mm. you know knowing how people's energy levels will generally fluctuate yeah structuring a session structuring your time box to to give that group the best chance of success and the best chance of positive energy. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a little bit of an uh, icebreaker to start with. Every now and again, just getting the blood flowing, getting people walking around. Yeah. Um, some of the liberating structures, or you know, training from the back of the room style approaches. Yeah. 
Um, so that little bit of preparation, on, I think, is a, is a good thing for a facilitator. You've got sort of a guiding principle on that, haven't you? I seem to remember you saying a certain amount of time, you know, if you, how much time you spent to prepare. Well, if you had a two-hour meeting, how long did you spend preparing that? I don't know if I had a principle. No. But, um, but no, I think, yeah, having a, an agenda, having a... I used to say about you present to two people, break down the time box as a... and mini goals within the time box. So as a facilitator, neutral, whether you're a scrum master or neutral, but um, explaining we're now going to do this for X amount of time. Okay. So to break, because if you're just in the retrospective, the two hours can be exhausting if you mm. think this is a two-hour kind of um, slog. But if you break it down into mini sections and explain a short goal to achieve in the next 20 minutes, mm -hmm. we're going to do this for the next 10 minutes, and then we're going to review it. So, so you break that down, that the monotony or the uh, the stretch, a long stretch of time into something more incremental slices of value, digestible. But it's all also about setting people's expectations about what we're expecting of them mm. in the next half an hour or the, you know, what, what that's going to look like in half an hour's time. Yeah. There are a couple of, i say, queens of facilitation. Yeah. Jean and Esther. Jean Tabaker, Esther Derby. Mm -hmm. um, and Diana Larson. Esther and Diana Larson wrote a book, Agile Retrospectives, which, yes, it was her own retrospectives, but the idea of structuring something like that, mm -hmm. almost in a storytelling arc of setting the scene gathering some data, generating some insights, then deciding what to do and then closing it out. That is a, is a narrative that people can buy into, they can understand, it makes sense, they can see the light at the end of the tunnel yeah. um, and they get a sense of completion and momentum yeah. along the way. Yeah. Uh, I know Gene was a big fan of things like that as well, in different structures and different variants. Okay. We did, and this takes me back to Munich, the Munich gathering, I can't remember what year it was. So it's been two. We did a session, yes, the late, the, was it Munich or Prague? I don't um, but the Scrum gathering there, and we did a little session on, a kind of a impromptu session on the 10 oh, yeah. retrospective mm -hmm. tips, didn't we? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember, it's a good test of memory. I was going to say, see if you can remember um, all 10. They're all three word phrases, remember that? Mm. There, was, there was one about, um, I think it was one about getting on your feet, keep people moving or something was one of them. So the act, it doesn't have to be a static exercise, you can um, get get people moving around the room, get the blood flowing around yeah. the brain. There was something around metaphors. Yeah, was experiment with metaphors. Yeah, there was um, let people play was one of them, I think. Yes. Food and drink was another one. Yeah. Encourage healthy conflict. What's, what's your vote just before we do that? So, in terms, because I remember at the time, I think it was Karen Greaves. Um, she might have been there or she might have openly disagreed with this on Twitter, I think, or something. But she said that actually, that as a facilitator, that tended to have a negative drain on the energy in the sessions when people were basically grazing on food and drink. Okay. But I thought it created, for me certainly, it created a bit of appetite to be there. Mm -hmm. If you knew there's something, we t we're putting some value into this and we think there's something valuable is going to come out of it. True, true. Um, and to keep energy levels up, if anything, well, like sugar levels. Yeah, yeah, you, and you don't have to leave the room to get, to get fed. Um, now, I think there can be a downside to that. Yeah. But just because you've got food in the room doesn't mean that you can't leave it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a, I think, so that, on a similar note then, so 
years years ago when we did some training from the back of the room stuff with Sharon. Yeah. The she had lots of fidget stuff on the tables. Yeah. Okay. Things to fidget with. Um, sort of stress balls and snakes and mm -hmm. things. And there were sort of mixed responses in that in terms of that takes people's attention away from what's going on. Yeah, it's sort of yeah. a distractor. But sometimes there are people who learn better and who who listen better and yeah. who understand better if they are able to have a certain amount of distraction. Yeah. Um, I think the, f the food being there allows people permission if you like to get up out of their chair to walk over and grab a few grapes yeah um, you know, grab a glass of orange juice or something yeah um, yeah so it's a uh, yes it can get help people get there it can also keep energy levels up mm. it can people talk more and bond more over food that's yeah, a sort of ritualistic thing, thing isn't yeah. it yeah, yeah so yeah it's 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 a good thing so what about also we had get people moving, we had that with food and drink, we had... And it is particularly tied, not necessarily to uh, many purely, don't want to take this purely down a, a retrospective. No, I don't think any of them are, really, no. necessarily, the, well, if I can remember. So, venue, you mentioned about... Venue's important, isn't good, it? A good venue. And may, we may have touched on this before, but I like, so we, we can see this, let's have a look, can you actually see... In, that plays into safety as the well. The ceiling here is, I can touch the ceiling. It's not a very high room that we're in, and that gives a feeling of closeness. Yeah. And it's said, uh, scientific studies, that you're more likely to focus and and converge on an idea in a low ceiling environment. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're looking to generate new ideas, be more creative, then having a higher ceiling. Okay increases that sense of space, thought space, headspace. Um, so we talk when we when we talk about facilitation skills with our scrum masters, with our agile coaches. Yeah. We talk about um, helping a team go through divergent thought processes where yeah. we're trying to embrace new ideas, get in, get creative, encourage participation, branching out, thinking outside of the box and all those things so that we don't just grab on the first idea that comes to mind, yeah. but then it needs to converge. So changing the space, perhaps, yeah. at a point, can help do that. But the other things around natural light, isn't it? I know you're a big fan of natural light. Yeah. Well, I don't book. I, I'm very suspicious or, or um, conscious of when I'm training, especially, or any type of room, really, that you feel claustrophobic. Even if you, you don't. It has a, and we did a course recently. I won't say where it was or, what, or who was there, but we were in a room. I know you didn't; it wasn't your first choice room, but it was. We ended up in a room with no windows. Mm. And I don't know about you, but I know I did notice a difficulty in keeping people. Yeah, um, so I'm asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but keeping people present. So and even outdoors, and, and you know, um, there's a sense of. Um, literally more oxygen getting to your brain, your brain and can help people think and that type of thing. But also you've got to bear in mind safety as well, that the room can create safety and can the wrong room can remove safety. Mm. If, you're in a gla if you're in a goldfish bowl, I remember some rooms in Nokia, I've said this before, but some rooms in Nokia were virtually, you know, goldfish bowls in the middle of the, of the open plan office. Everybody everyone, around everyone can see. Everyone can see you. So Even if they can't hear you. Yeah. yeah. You, you have to have the perception of being observed mm. and that is not healthy for 
vulnerability yeah, and, and easy facilitation. So, the other thing as well I'd say about facilitation, going back to tips and keys, is it doesn't always have to be verbal. Okay. So getting people to write things down, getting people to use other skills, um, doesn't always have to be. You, you know, participation doesn't always have to be verbal. Mm. To as a, as a measure of good. A good, a good facilitation um, exercise, especially with with more introverted or quieter people in the, in the room. They've got things to share, but they don't have to be verbalised. Yeah. 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 Um, so one of the ones you mentioned was letting people play. Yep. What do you think about that? Go into more detail on that one. Well, I think that again. I think that could div div divide our listeners. You reckon? Could do. But because it's not serious enough. Potentially. Do I feel safe enough to play? Well, exactly, and um, I'm coaching someone at the moment that's trying a lot of my improv things out. And he says, um, sometimes it goes down really well, sometimes it doesn't. People can quite, you can al almost see people scoff when he enters the room carrying, carrying a book with improv mm -hmm. games in it. So it's like, you've got to, I think you've got to know your time, you've got to know your audience and your team. Yeah. If that is the case, but um, yeah, but that if people see it as an opportunity to relax um, and not to be judged, mm -hmm. that can set the tone for a retrospective. Yeah. If play, if, if creativity, if if it's an open-ended retrospective, you don't really know what you want to get out of it yet. That can quite um, it can set an informal, playful, creative atmosphere. Interesting, you should say that because I was I was just about to say something slightly different. I was going to say what I found, maybe it is, maybe it isn't slightly different, I'm not sure. What I found is that the reticence and hesitancy to engage in play, I found, has reduced the more people have realised or been aware that there's a point to the play. Oh, really? So I'm willing to engage in this because I think it's, there's going to be some use out of it, there's okay. some value out of it. I'm willing to put myself out, and the second part of that is I'm willing to put myself out there if I'm comfortable that I'm not going to be made to look foolish. Like if there isn't an aha moment, see, I, and I, you've probably been in some of the same kind of training courses that I've been in the past yeah. where the, the facilitator has deliberately set you up to fail so yeah. that they can you know, hold the mirror up and say, see, you're an idiot. Yeah. And no, that's probably a little bit of baggage held over from those types of things. Yeah. And <coughs> yeah, it is a measure of how... But it's, it's, you take it... The, the, the example that I tend to draw on is, is you look at, at Christmas and things like that when you, you do play games with your family and stuff. Because, well, you, you kind of... You do feel safe in that environment where you don't really... You're expecting to be ridiculed or mm. not, not ridiculed, but certainly not made out not going to be winning every time mm -hmm. certainly and there's a nice phrase that um, was at a school I was at my, my daughter's potential secondary school um, I think it, it wasn't lo it wasn't losing well but he used the phrase disagreeing well okay so the, uh, that's, that's kind of one of their school phrases mm. something they try and teach the children is to how, how can I disagree not nicely but how can I disagree well mm. so being comfortable with it's a good skill to learn yeah and it, it's something that did impress us like a slight tangent but um, being, well, being but no, open with being vulnerable that's, well, I that's don't think that is a tangent I think that is an actual 
a really good skill of a, of a good facilitator is to give people the not just the psychological safety but the structure to be able to disagree constructively mm. whether it is around something like nonviolent communication yeah. or some something similar or and to make a game out of it to take the point of making a game out of it something which might on the face of it be very extreme but we've experimented with in the past is cognitive edges ritual descent yeah that idea of going so over the top so extreme in your negative feedback of something yeah that it is silly yeah. it is funny I, no one could possibly be this yeah anti yeah what you're doing so it's not personal anymore yeah um and that's this, so this is a tangent that we might have mentioned before, so apologies if we have, but some of the stuff that my kids are learning at school now, I'm really, I really like. So they've, my daughter's had lessons, as well as things like self-defense and well-being, but also small talk, mm. just to be able to have conversation with people. Mm. And, that's, and I think that's part, part of the reason. So every, every workshop generally has these, you know, these introductions that everybody hates. Mm. And everybody hates the introductions, the creeping death, Ice something breakers. like that. Yeah. yeah, but I think part of that is just due to that that lack of confidence and ability to have those small, innate, in, inane yeah. conversations, yeah. Um, and just get to know each other a little bit. Yeah. Hopefully, the next generation is going to come up with the skills that we didn't have. That'd be nice. Those nice soft skills. Mm. I was going to get somewhere else, but I've lost, I've lost it. There's got to be, I think the number one thing for me, there's got to be a purpose. Everybody's got to be clear about what the purpose of this, whatever it is, the meeting, the session. Do you think it has to have a purpose? Do you um, think, or do you think a facilitator? Fair point, fair point. But even if you don't have a purpose, there's got to be a reason for being there. Even if it's not to achieve something specific, even if it is to just explore, that is the purpose. But knowing why we're all here. Because if some people turn up thinking, yeah. I want to achieve something, yeah. and yeah. some other people turn up to the same session oh, thinking, yeah, just I just want to think yeah. about it, just okay. talk about it, there's going to be frustration. Yeah. So having At that clarity, and in, in yeah. advance, I'll double check with him anyway, yeah. that's quite helpful. Because I know yeah. um, one of my good friends and good, very good scrum masters, he's, he's said to me in the past that some of his better retrospectives has been, <coughs> have been the ones where he hasn't planned and he hasn't Almost, it, it took off some of the pressure off because there wasn't because there wasn't a purpose and there wasn't a not a point but there wasn't a, a topic. Okay. Because he just. So why were they there? Why should I come? Because mainly, mainly because it's in the diary. People know people know it's a retrospective. People know at the end of a sprint know they're going to turn up. And but that they, is they, the know, they know the purpose of the of the that part of the framework. Which is. Which is continuous improvement. Okay, but he just literally—I think—and again, I think it's a majority thing. But he just turned up and almost didn't introduce it. They just sat. I think the, the environment helped because they were in a beer garden. I think at the okay, time, or around pic a picnic table, <coughs> and he just sat down and kind of visibly laid back in his chair and mm -hmm. said, "Well, what happened? What you know, what went on?" Yeah, and it just kind of drifted. Mm -hmm. Just a conversation. Almost, you know, kind of emergent, and, and then. Were you there? I wasn't there. But he, he told me about it, and it was it was just something that naturally a natural flow to the conversation. But I think a lot of that comes with a, an increased sense of team. But it'd be useful to be able to observe that, and because there would have been, it might not have been as formally or visibly formal facilitation, but there would still have been a lot of facilitation going on there. It would have been a lot more nuanced, I would imagine. Yeah. 
Um, and also, I don't think he would have been the only one facilitating. No, quite possibly right, yeah. So it would, he's in such an environment where it's a fairly mature team where they do tend to facilitate each other. But I'm, gonna, I'm going to be pedantic on this point, and I'm going to say that there was still a very clear purpose on that, but the structure might have been different. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So people would have turned up knowing what the aim was, to find some way to improve, yeah. but he was very flexible in how to structure that. Yeah. It might not have been formally, you know, there might not have been a formal agenda. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that's, there's always that balance as a facilitator, because if you, if you stick too much to a structure, then you limit the, the, the natural emergence and flow that can, that can happen there, you stifle it, mm. and it, it feels very much like a you know, mechanical process, a uh, checkbox process. Yeah. But if you don't have any kind of structure, then people don't feel safe, they don't yeah. feel confident. So I remember some of the other, because we remember back in the day, back in the BT days, there was actually a, um, a dedicated facilitation team. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we had some of those uh, team members on our coaching kind of um, yeah. team. And I, I've, I've got a pretty good memory long term, and some of the things that they said to me at the time stick in my mind. One of them was around, and I think this might have been even you might have mentioned this, or someone mentioned it to you, was around the counter to ten rule. Mm -hmm. So, again, it comes back to this knowing when to shut up, is that generally when you're uncomfortable as a facilitator, you feel the need to fill the silence or to, to, to take up the airtime or the slack. And sometimes as a facilitator, it's just been knowing when to take, a, take ten seconds, count for ten seconds before you think what you were going to say mm -hmm. was going to be worth it. And you might find someone else has jumped in at that point. I remember the 10 second rule. And I remember um, one other thing, which was it? Oh, I had it then, it's gone. No, come back. Well, while me. you're thinking about it, I'll, I'll offer the flip side to that, which is it's very easy as a facilitator when you feel the tensions rising, is to feel awkward and not want to put your neck on the line if you like just what, sort of abdicate responsibility and see these let these people slug it out almost mm. um, but actually stepping in and being able to say let's let's bring this back in a in a, in a good way but having the confidence and the, the respectful uh, assertiveness yeah to be able to do that Jean Tobaker used to say to take the blame I think she's was yeah. take the blame was it something like even own, if you don't think it's even yours. if it's not your yeah. fault yeah. take it and say and own it I assume own it probably yeah. yeah assume that this is probably down to my poor facilitation yes or my poor structuring that, yeah. we've, that we've led to this it's not that you guys can't get along yeah I haven't structured this well enough yeah. which then allows people to have those debates without feeling like they've they have to apologize and admit yeah or back down or anything like that I thought that was a powerful, powerful thing to do. I thought the other thing. <coughs> so in a, in, a, in a facilitation sense, I was, again, I don't remember who told me, but I was told, always write down exactly what people have said. Mm. It sounds trivial, and it sounds, but I still find, I catch myself now every now and again, trying to attempt to paraphrase into words that I would use. Yeah. But there's a very, again, because as a facilitator, you have to remain, as best you can, remain neutral. Well, we believe that. Yes. Okay, I believe that. Mm -hmm. um, there's an there's a advantage that you gain to, to, to just literally writing down. If someone says something in a retrospective or in a planning session that you what needs to be captured, that's why post-it notes with people writing mm -hmm. their own notes helps. But 
if you're in any way owning a flip chart or capturing data, I was always told, and I, I still try and do this now, is to, even if it does mean replaying, okay, so what I heard you say there, well, I'm going to write down exactly what you said there, which was. So it can't be used. Uh, so I agree with the principle, and I'll offer something else on top of that which is without trying to put your spin on it, without trying to reword it yourself, if you think it does need extra clarification or wording, rewording, yeah. is asking that person, could you say that in another way? Okay. Just so that they clarify their thoughts a little bit better. They have to process it again, yeah. if you like, yeah. refine it and get to the essence of it. Now, what's, what's, what's your, what are you trying to say? What's the message? What's, what's the essence of what you're saying there? Yeah. Could, you, could you summarize that for yeah. me? Especially because you're trying, <coughs> you're trying to capture it, and you can't really write chapter mm. and verse. Asking them to summarise is quite a nice way to condense it down to a, yeah, a soundbite. And that, I, I've, I've, I've not really ever had a problem with playing the fool because I am quite foolish. <laughs> but openly saying in those kinds of situations that. Genuinely don't quite understand that. Yeah. Could you just simplify that for me a little yeah. bit more? Yeah. Will help simplify it for them and everybody else as well. And so that facilitator playing that role means that somebody else doesn't have to say, I don't understand. Yeah. Because that's quite a scary thing to say, isn't it, in yeah. terms of safety? I don't get that. Yeah. A status thing. Yeah. <laughs> just this last week. Um, I was doing a retrospective at the end of a, a training class and it was my fault completely. I wrote down something, I asked people to capture their thoughts in a three word phrase at, okay. the, end, at the end of the class. Yeah. So I asked some, um, any other class, did anyone want to shout out any of these phrases just to share a thing you're happy to share? And um, this guy um, shouted out, or he, he said, um, simplicity belies complexity. Okay. <coughs> and. I did. I, I made. I fell into a trap. I went off on one, but I completely um, misinterpreted, stroke, undermined what he'd said, mm. and misinterpreted it. Okay. But fair play to the, to the guy. He said, "No, you completely misunderstood me there." But <laughs> almost by accident, I I clarified in my own head what he was trying yeah. to say and made him talk about it. Because instead of then just saying a three-word phrase and then moving on. It encouraged it, for, kind of forced him through my own poor judgment to to clarify what you meant by it, and mm. then give us some examples of it, which was quite good. So in that situation, you didn't actually think that you didn't understand. No, I thought I did understand. Yeah, yeah, and I just misunderstood it. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> I said, well, all right. So while we're on that th thread, then sort of bringing it almost to a close and bringing whatever it is you're facilitating to a close. Yeah. Capturing yeah. information, whether it's facilitating the capture yeah. from other people or summarising. Yeah. Um, and that capturing could also be making having something like a parking lot to enable focus to remain where yeah. you are and having the confidence and assertiveness to use that. Yeah. Um, and then making sure that if, you know, wh what... What do people want to take away from this? Do they want to take individual actions away from this? What do they want to happen yeah. as a result of it? Not necessarily what do you want them to do with it? <clears throat> and that might be something worth clarifying in advance. Yeah. Maybe that's not possible, but you know, come, come the end of the session, their energy levels might be quite low yeah. to, 
to taking actions and working out what they want to do about it. But if they know that was the success criteria, yeah, then it's a little bit easier to, to push them just that little bit further. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of trying to close a couple of things. Trying to close. People remember the end. Mm-hmm. Trying to close on a positive. Trying to yeah. close on a on a reflection that's trying to leave. And I do this a lot with my training course as well now, which is a classic type of facilitation, but people remember the final thing they did and trying to f- finish it, trying to give it a, a good end mm. um, and a positive end. What, did, what was Jerry Springer's thing? It was the end yeah. Take care of yourself. Yeah, he had like, a final thought, didn't yeah, he? Jerry's, Jerry's final, final thought. thought. Yeah. Um, and another thing, my memory is terrible today, but um, yeah, thank you. Oh, it was, it was thanking people. Mm-hmm. Be appreciative, and ask for feedback. True. Yep. So always be learning. Just be yeah. Just to admit you're you're trying to walk the talk, which is a lot of things we talk about for Scrum Masters is exhibit the agile principles. If you're looking to improve what you did, that goes a long way. I think mm. that you're not perfect. That you're trying yeah. to trying to reflect yourself. Retrospect on the retrospect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Well, hopefully that helped. I have a feeling that this there's going to be so many facilitation tips that I'm hopeful this could be our biggest comments section. Do we get comments on the podcast? Sometimes. Yeah. How do they do that? They can, you can comment directly on SoundCloud. Okay. So there's and that, and that captures them for us in a kind of a YouTube style time style format. Okay. Um, yeah. Or you can. All through Twitter. Or you can just tweet us and we'll try and um, capture some of those and try and reply if we can. Yeah. All right. That's our that's our request. That's our promise. That's our, requ- well, our request for you guys. Yeah, this we'll time. reply. If they, if they all right. Okay. Yeah. Reply. All right. All right. I we'll promise to reply. But I think you know, that would be that's something we haven't really had yet. This is episode. Let's call it sixty-six. I think yeah. it's around about sixty-six. Sixty odd. Yeah. Um, and we haven't really had a massive comment stream no. on any of them yet. And I think that would, I'd like that. That's I'd like a challenge that. for you. So this is our this is our shout out to our listeners. When you see the tweet for this episode that's been released go back find it because you've obviously linked clicked it to get here anyway yeah uh, go and find that tweet from the agile at the agile podcast and add your facilitation tips as comments and we'll see how many comments we can get yeah. and good ones we'll read out on another podcast yeah we will we'll we'll read them out next time or next time we're talking about facilitation <laughs> okay cool so yeah finally thanks again to our patron Greg for the question. Good question, Greg. Cheers to Graham for being our latest patron. This pint was bought by you, so appreciate that. Thank you very much. Cheers. And um, yeah, have a good week and get the barbecue out. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, thank you very much for keeping listening after all these years. Three long years it's been since we've started this journey, but we're still enjoying every episode that we record. Over that time, we have been turning down quite a few offers of sponsorship and product endorsement along the way, because we don't really think that's what you'd want us to do. It is hard work, but if you enjoy and value what we do, and you'd like to buy us a pint every now and again, you can do so. It's completely optional, but we have a Patreon account where you can donate whatever you want, whenever you want. 
We'll buy a pint and toast you, maybe even enhance the kit that we use to improve the quality of the recording, and maybe advertise to try and reach some more people. As I say, it's completely optional, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, we'd love it. And if you want to donate, please go to patreon.com forward slash the agile podcast. Thanks very much.